0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Mangum Talks TV, the second ever episode of Mangum Talks TV. I am Lee. I am joined by Spencer. Spencer, say hey to the people. Hey, everybody. Spencer, we are in episode two, uh, Mm -hmm. reviewing HBO's Chernobyl. And my God, it is good. It's horrifying. It's interesting. It's all the things uh, that I think we're looking for in a series um, that makes us think that's not comedy. I'm really enjoying it. Uh, How are you enjoying it so far?
1: I was interested going into it a second time. We talked before about Game of Thrones, about how a lot of the episodes were holding up better on the first rewatch than necessarily the second. Was this the kind of show that would be affected by that? No, not at all. Just as great. Maybe even liked it better. Good God, this was an excellent episode. What a wonderful show. So excited to continue watching it with you and talk about it.
0: Yeah, completely agree. Um, and you're the exact type of person I want to watch a show with because you just immediately start going, okay, let's go into the science, let's go into the history, let's figure all this shit out, right? Um, and that's kind of what I found myself doing, and that's why I would just to your point recommend rewatching the show because mm-hmm. you catch little things, um, and then you may you know, at least I did anyway. I would catch little things and I go, is that real? And then you kind of get into your own little. Uh, spencer-esque wikipedia spiral trying to figure out if that was real and why it happened you know and all that stuff so yeah great show uh episode two of chernobyl it's called please remain calm aptly named Mm -hmm. um and let's get into it but before we do spencer i have been following another mangum talks podcast mangum reads which you are a part of indeed i am and my wife has come up with a segment which i have really enjoyed which is she comes up with a cocktail um, she, she does. every every episode which uh, has varying you know levels of uh relation to the book or short story that you're reading i have my own cocktail for this uh episode that I'd
1: like to uh, share with you please do i would be excited to know what it is uh it's kind of yeah. horrified what the, what will be thematically appropriate for Chernobyl, but go on i think it's appropriate i put a
0: lot of thought into it, it took about it takes about five or ten minutes because you have to really do some muddling um, but what I did is I bought stolichnaya and I put it in a cup. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's I'm, right. <laughs> I'm so let down and you know impressed at the same time. Why did I not see that coming? Did you yeah, at least it, make sure the cup was down before you put it in it? Uh, yes. <laughs> did you flip did. the cup over and put it in?
0: <laughs> I, I did. I, I took one from the back. I didn't want the open air. Uh, put a little stolichnaya. I don't know why I didn't think of this for the first episode, but yes, I've got a little bit of Russian vodka here um actually um bottled in belarus uh, <laughs> no sorry latvia sorry um Stalignia, that's what i'm going to be drinking and while i take my first sip spencer if you would like to tell the people what's going on with magnum reeds
1: Uh, And Mangum Reads. uh, Last episode, we did one of our short story breaks we love to do with your authentic Indian experience, TM, a delightful short story. Uh, We moved on to a more full length novel this time entitled The Likeness. We haven't done mystery or kind of thrillers before, and so it's a nice change of pace for us. A book by Tanya French. And this is the second time we're doing the second book in a series, but it's a relatively effective standalone book that we've done the first episode on and are excited to continue talking about it for probably about the next two weeks. Great.
0: Um, and uh BJ and I have a podcast called Mangum Last. We don't get to it that often, but uh we got a new episode coming out pretty soon. And then we have whiskey on the weekends. Um, by the time this episode comes out, you will be able to go listen to the whiskey on the weekends. You can either listen to it on the Whiskey on the Weekends podcast feed or the Got Questions podcast feed. It's the whiskey on the weekends that was recorded from Con of Thrones. Spencer, Yay. that was a blast. So it was much a lot fun. Of fun. So much fun, and on the topic of podcast feeds, and then we'll jump into the episode. Uh, I saw that a lot of people listened to this ep- uh, episode one of our Chernobyl coverage on the GOT Got Questions podcast feed. Hmm. I did. I i put it on that feed just so people would know that we're doing Mangum Talks TV. Hmm. I'm going to put this one on there too, but this is going to be the last one. So if you're listening to this on the GOT Got Questions podcast feed, please go subscribe to Mangum Talks TV. That's where all the rest of our <clears throat> television coverage uh with Spencer and I uh, are gonna land sold cool all right well housekeeping out of the way let's jump yeah. into Chernobyl episode two
1: yeah you, you mentioned Game of Thrones it became really apparent this episode just how appropriate a crossover is given I've noticed like three or four actors from Game of Thrones are in this show
0: <laughs> yes there are there are a number
1: of uh, of actors from Game of Thrones I think that's pretty cool Mm-hmm. Um, it's further example of the fact that the British acting community is, I think, six guys wearing different hats, but it makes for wonderful crossovers. All six are really good, though, right? Oh, they're excellent. We got to see Shaga, <laughs> son of Dolph, in this one, and it was wonderful to see him again.
0: Shaga, son of Dolph. Okay. So, episode two of HBO Chernobyl, please remain calm. We're going to do a recap, then we will go into best line of the episode. I and I alone choose best line of the episode. Then we go into a little uh, segment that I created that I forced to Spencer called Spencer's Wikipedia Spiral of the Week. It's a beautiful thing. He starts Wikipedia, he gets multiple tabs. He starts clicking links, and before you know it, he's got a story for you.
1: I, I love that you think that you started me on my Wikipedia spiral. Just you oh. feel free to take that credit, sir. Oh, I absolutely didn't, but the segment... <laughs> the direction of the wikipedia spiral i understand
0: it's kind of like as a podcast uh you know sort of on-air personality i'm like an observational comic like i i I saw what you were doing Mm
1: -hmm. and now i just want to bring it to the people and it's an effective use of madness truly
0: (laughs) all right well we'll start with a recap the episode starts with a tape of an actual recording in russian um i did my best to figure out what in the world this is I, i could never find it so i don't know i I assume it's like an emergency call after the explosion but i i really don't know spencer do you know what that recording was that starts out the episode
1: uh it is I actually have the copy of the script that i was able to find on hbo.com
0: oh nice Uh,
1: and this would be the voice (laughs) on the radio it appears to be you know i believe that the russia we fight for is not the dull town where i lived at a loss it appears to be actually kind of music kind of thing
0: Oh, okay. Um, and then we see that the first scene is at the Belarusian Institute for Nuclear Energy, and that's in Minsk. And we see a lady named Yulana Komyuk. Uh, she's the only major character in this miniseries that is entirely made up.
1: Oh, sorry. It's poetry. It is a guy reciting poetry over a, over the radio. Oh, okay.
0: So it's like less of an informational thing and more of like an artistic choice.
1: As one would listen to in, a, in an academic setting like this. And she's the only major character in the miniseries that is entirely made up. The
0: showrunner indicated that her character is a collection of actual individuals, dozens or even hundreds actually, who worked alongside either directly or indirectly, either formally or informally with Valery Legasov to try to deal with this disaster. Yeah. Uh, apparently there was a, just basically the scientific community, shout out to the Soviet Union, just really rallied during this because they figured out pretty quickly just how serious it was. And she is a composite of all of those people. And now, of course, one of the problems when you do that, when you say, okay, there's a hundred pit scientists working on this to come to that conclusion, we're going to put that into one person. That person is going to seem like this omniscient oh, know-it-all, right?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And that can be a criticism of her character, but I, I do appreciate that they at least consolidated to some extent. Because if it was just, you know, random ass people calling off, that wouldn't be particularly entertaining from a narrative perspective. So that's why they made the choice. Spencer, what do you think?
1: I think it's an inevitable kind of change. There's just no practical way they can have that many characters running about to make it for anything resembling a cohesive narrative for just a relatively short miniseries. So I understand why they did it. As you said, it can make her a very omnidiscipline, multidiscipline kind of scientist, the same way they have to do with Legosolve to a certain degree, which is understandable. It's a practical thing you see in media. It also can lead to a bit of the classic um, great man of history kind of thing about a few people solve an entire crisis together. Which is not how this actually played out, but as said, practically speaking, I just don't think they can avoid it. There's just too many people that played a role. They have to consolidate. They have to hit the high points, otherwise, this story can just never be practically told.
0: Right. And what I would tell our listeners is, when you're you're watching this, you know, every time she just comes up with the answer out of thin air, like let that go, because really, that was like 50 people who worked together to do it. Right. Right.
1: And she is an interesting character in her own right. She she embodies an interesting. We see her and Boris stand as kind of two different sides of Legasov's personality, in that she is just such the utterly rigid, not not working, not willing to work the system kind of academic that fits a lot of the true stereotypes you see in academia. So she isn't as much as she is a composite. They do make her her own character, and she's an interesting person to see work off the others.
0: Agreed. Um, and to your point about Legasov, Legasov actually wasn't the most knowledgeable person about RBMK reactors. Mm-hmm. Um, he was just the head of this nuclear institute, and it's unclear if you know Gorbachev and his folks just decided, you know, just get the leader of, like, just pick an organization <laughs> and say get the leader, and that's why he ended up there. or If he had some connection or something, but Legasov actually he knew you know yeah, a, a good bit about RBMK reactors, but he wasn't he by far wasn't the actual. Um, you know, premier, uh, you know, person expert. with that knowledge. Yeah, expert in the in the country
1: by far. No, in, in many ways, he's a bit of a crossover figure in that he is in many ways in a political kind of role as being a senior leader of this kind of university premiership. Yep. Mm-hmm. So he, he's able to straddle the line and interact with people in a way that um, Kamyuk is not.
0: Yeah. OK, so we cut back to the show. It's 830 in the morning It's seven hours after the explosion. So it's the morning after uh, Yulana pulling a Spencer here is asleep at her desk on a Saturday morning. Um, another employee comes in and never got his name. I don't think it's that important. Uh, what I do think is important is that it's clear that this guy is her assistant. And I think this is yet again the show illustrating that while politically and socially, women were were de- absolutely denigrated in the Soviet Union, were not treated fairly. In, you know, medicine and the STEM fields, they were, it was pretty much every man for himself or woman for themselves, and, mm-hmm. and it was not uncommon for a scientist, a woman scientist to have a male assistant.
1: Yeah, the Soviet Union was eminently practical in some ways on the subject of gender relations and opportunities of women to rise. just based on the immediate needs at the time, like the Germans are invading. Okay, women, you can fight on the front ranks. Oh, we're behind in the scientific race with the, with, with the United States. Okay, women, you can participate. Everything else stay out of the way. But those areas, we need, it's essentially a war on.
0: Yeah. Um, and she asked why everybody else hasn't come in. Uh, and he says, well, it's Saturday. And she said, why'd you come in? He says, because I worked too hard. He hmm. opens the window. And as soon as the window opens, as soon, maybe a couple seconds later, an alarm goes off. This is apparently a device that's measuring the amount of radiation in the air. And the guy suggests it's sleek, um, probably for something they're working on in the Institute, right? Mm-hmm and uh she says no because it only it, smart enough right this guy should have you know put pieces together she says well it just went off on the window open it's coming from outside he asks if it's the americans again hit into that you know fear that the, cool. the, the rank and file soviets had yeah right so she gets it doesn't know the answer to that she gets a sample and takes it downstairs for additional testing she comes back and announces it's iodine 131 which to her signals this isn't military it's radioactive decay Meaning mm-hmm. it's coming from a nuclear power plant. So then the question becomes, well, what nuclear power plant is it? Um, unnamed guy suggests it could be the Ignalina. According to the script,
1: his name is Dmitri. So sure,
0: we'll I'm gonna go call ahead. him. I'm gonna call him guy. Well, Dmitri. Yeah, that's like that might as well be guy in Russian. That, that, that right? is so generic. <laughs> that yeah. is insert name here yeah john doe uh suggests it would it could be the inglina nuclear power plant which is located about 240 kilometers away in visaginas lithuania this is also an rbmk reactor so you can see how they would be confusing this with you know what would be coming from chernobyl
1: it's a lot closer uh, than
0: chernobyl too. way closer Yulana calls them and it's not them um but you notice i don't know if you notice this in the in the back and forth she's having on the phone she says okay stay calm
1: yeah they know they, <laughs> they're they they're detecting it on theirs and are equally confused and terrified
0: yeah i'm glad you caught that because that, that's a real great subtlety the show does because she, they it, i i we didn't hear what she's hearing but i imagine they go it's not us but we're freaked out because we're getting the readings too
1: well i think they even say something along the lines of we've got four Ronigan here too or something like that so oh, you were watching it with the subtitles i was watching it with the subtitles yes
0: <laughs> okay good good yeah that's that's good to good to add um yeah she tells him to stay calm and the next closest chernobyl but the guy says that can't be possible it's too far away um and like she says she says i'm gonna nominate this for line of the episode well that's too far away it's eight, eight miller Runken. uh they'd have to be split open so right oh, away man. she figures out if this is chernobyl there they have an open reactor core now uh, you know we talked about this character being a composite of characters did you know that um poland actually had a reading on the chernobyl uh, you know basically the chernobyl uh fallout
1: i knew, I knew about sweden I didn't, I didn't i had not heard the story about poland
0: i th- i think it's poland i may be confusing it with sweden i don't know i'm very trump in that way they're all sort of the same for me chirp <laughs> <laughs> sure, yeah
1: they're, they're over in there that europey thing
0: i think it was poland but anyway let's say let's say it's sweden uh, but the story i heard is that the the way that they figured this out is that somebody going to work at their nuclear reactor facility came in and as part of just being you know going into the facility and getting ready to work they do a scan for you for radioactivity and the, mm-hmm. all the alarms just went crazy and that and and they were like well what the hell he wasn't even in here mm-hmm. you know it's basically a test they do when you go and you go out to make sure you know people are are don't have dangerous levels of radioactive uh you know energy in them or whatever and that's how they figured it out and so i think this is like a composite of that story right where she just very quickly gets the reading she's able to figure it
1: out i mean by the end of this episode they're they're picking up readings and keeping children inside as far away as east germany so this is quickly becoming a european issue in a variety of ways
0: yeah and it it almost gets to be a fucking
1: transcontinental Uh, issue there
0: (laughs) so uh she calls chernobyl no response now she's a little freak she takes an iodine tablet and she gives the iodine tablet to Guy slash Dimitri. Spencer, you covered the last time why she's, she's taking iodine tablets. Um, I, I'm gonna just do a quick summary of that. I think that, that actually blocks um, the radioactive uh, you know, stuff that's in the air from getting into your thyroid. That's apparently where it, it enters the body and then it disperses through the body and causes all kinds of problems. So it's it's a little bit of a protective barrier for you if you're being subjected to dangerous levels of radioactivity
1: as we've seen in the aftermath of Chernobyl, one of the nuclear instances, thyroid cancer is the most common. Because as you said, it's one of the first places that takes up the radioactive isotopes. So if you can block the absorption there, you can perform a first line of defense against the most common ways somebody's going to be affected by radiation.
0: I don't appreciate you saying radioactive isotopes when I said radioactive stuff in the air. I think that was a little undercut.
1: You know, I thought yours honestly got through to our listeners better than mine did. So I was just trying to be special <laughs> for a second, but uh, you know,
0: <laughs> <laughs> hurt my feelings there back in Pripyat. Uh, People are still being brought into the hospital. It's just a zoo in there, as you would imagine. It's gone to hell. Yeah, and Zajinko is the lady that we follow. Now, I can't tell if she is a nurse or a doctor. Do you know, Spencer?
1: I thought they kind of implied earlier when she was directly interacting with the other doctors at almost like a peer level, and the fact that she was going to the doctor's off room, that she was a doctor. That was my impression.
0: I thought she was too. Um, Yeah, all right. We're in agreement there she actually knows what she's doing and she's giving order to give ivs but they don't have enough she says what about children and you know women don't have enough she said well do what you can she asked about the old man which is hilarious oh man because that's hilarious because she knows this guy has no idea what he's doing he could be a fucking disaster and sure to her word or at least her thought um he is he apparently had set up his own burn ward she goes right to see him and he's putting milk on vasily (laughs) ignatinko
1: Very effective. Just that will solve all of the radiation exposure issues right there.
0: I mean, this is 1984, and they've got this backwoods witch doctor guy trying to treat radioactive burns with milk. What the fuck? (laughs) Uh,
1: And uh, credit to her. She immediately looks at this guy, has no other context for what's going on in this room, sees his face, sees his gear, and goes, he has has radiation burns, his clothes are contaminated, we need to solve the situation now, get his clothes off.
0: Absolutely. Um... She does exactly that. They take the clothes off and they start taking them down. Spencer, did you know that that actually happened? They they I, did take all of those clothes and put them in the basement, and those clothes are still there today.
1: Yeah, and it's one of the most radioactive spots that's still left in Pripyat. Just to give you, just to put perspective on how goddamn radioactive these guys were when they left that plant.
0: Yeah, and you get this. I mean, they, they, the show does a great job of showing you these little things, even though like you can't see radioactive. Um, isotopes or whatever the hell you said, there, Spencer. Uh, because the the nurses have burns on their hands just from taking that shit downstairs. Yeah, um, and I was reading exposure. I was reading that if you went down there and you put one of those things on you and you you sat there for an hour in 2019, you'd be dead in a month.
1: Yeah, I, I've heard that before, that they just won't even let you in the same room, that you can vaguely take pictures from the margins, but of all the tours they now allow a pre-opet, is one of the still the cordoned-off areas. How damn radioactive that clothing still is.
0: Yeah, and I've heard that the tours actually limit, so you can take like the around-the-corner picture, but it, you have to be out of there in a minute.
1: I've, I've watched some of those on YouTube before of the very tours they do, and they give you a Geiger counter, which I would delight in having. And I was watching. Yeah, i say so. Of a woman walking around, and she approaches an earth mover, uh, one of the big bulldozers, and the needle just buries, just immediately, just hits the ground. She walks over the, walks up to the tour guide and asks, "What's going on there?" And says, "Oh, they use that to close up power plant. We don't go near that thing. Sorry." So Jesus Christ. Okay. Spencer, Good to question know. for you:
0: Would you do a tour of Chernobyl?
1: Uh man, I've heard it is. Yes. Yes, I would. I would I, I would find it very interesting. It's supposed to be naturally incredibly beautiful because the biggest threat to the natural world is not radiation, it's us. Uh, and so kidding us out of an area for 30 years is a wonderful way of restoring the natural world. And it is just, from the images I've seen, from the tours I've watched, from playing Call of Duty 4 Modern Warfare, uh, it just looks so <coughs> interestingly haunting.
0: Yeah, so a little thing about me, when I'm walking like in an um, urban area, you know, just like down the street, like in a downtown. And you know they have the little grates over the over the, the the concrete? Yeah, sure. Where like air's blowing up, or maybe there's like a some sort of like sewer pipe or something down there.
1: Sure, any number I, of things.
0: I always walk around that. You know why I walk around that?
1: Cause what?
0: Cause I know that I'm not gonna fall if I don't touch it. I know that hundred <laughs> percent. I know I know ninety-nine point nine percent that I'm not gonna fall if I step on it, but mm-hmm. I know hundred percent. That I'm not going to fall if I don't step on it. Same thought for me for Chernobyl. Hell no, I'm not going to Chernobyl. Are you fucking kidding me? This is like a ti- million
1: fucking years. This is like tying in to be inviting you scuba diving or hang gliding with me. It's just, we, I think the two of us have very different senses of self preservation, and yours is probably on the much more healthy human level. Yeah, and you're gonna live like 75 years longer than me. You're gonna li- you're gonna live to be Gandalf's <laughs> fucking age. You're gonna you're gonna have a big fucking walking stick and a, a damn. <laughs> <laughs> you, 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 had, you had that Eastern Wizard North Carolina, <laughs> Carolina diet for too long, man. It's just permanently affected you. You're, yeah. Well, I, I'm going to live to a ripe old age, but you're going to live to 210. Eh, um
0: <laughs> so hey, the radiation to, may help. Who knows? Yeah, yeah it's true. Let's <laughs> go. Maybe, yeah. Get, get your ass over to Chernobyl, Spencer. Mm. Um, we cut to Legasov. He is in Moscow waiting to meet with Gorbachev. And and I, I think you can kind of assume that he's meeting with somebody pretty high. Because um, he's nervous and he's clearly in a in, I think he's in... Um, the Kremlin and he is given a report on the situation and he starts reading and something clearly jumps off the page at him. And what I love about this episode is it establishes that when a character is either about to go into learn about or is currently in danger, you hear this sort of grating ominous music Mm -hmm. and the music lets us know there's danger. Right. And that's what he, that's what you start to see when he's reading this and figuring something out.
1: And I I love that it trusts us enough To use non-direct clues like that Of where the music can trigger us off A character's reaction They don't need the character Just immediately say out loud Oh my god 3.6 oh, road die. again yeah, exactly.
0: Graphite Yeah No you just get that. It's great Because it builds And you start to At least yeah. I did Even on the sure. first viewing I started to figure out Okay they're giving us a clue here Whenever yeah. I hear that music I know some shit's happening Dramatic tension
1: matters It gets your audience invested And this show does it well
0: yeah. Is that radioactive decay's music? <laughs> mm. <laughs> like a whole
1: wrestling trope.
0: Um, and again, we hear the okay, And then we go, Legasov gets up and he goes in the meeting room. And we see the first character that we would have known throughout history uh, without watching the show or spiraling through Wikipedia. And that is Mikhail Gorbachev.
1: <laughs> yeah. The moment that man walks in the room and you see a guy with a wine in her head, it's like, oh, I know who that is. Don't, I don't need a primer. I don't need pictures. Gotcha. <laughs>
0: little bit of uh, Gorbachev facts for you. Gorbachev is still alive. Um, he was the eighth and last leader of the Soviet Union and the Communist Party. He was the prime minister when the Berlin Wall fell. Um, General remember,
1: Secretary, if we're being precise.
0: That's not what on my notes here. And um, then we, you, you heard like the Mr. Gorbachev tear down this wall. Reagan was talking to him. He's a lifelong believer in Marxist Leninism. Um, but eventually evolved into believing in social democracy, which is what he believes in today, I think. Uh, I don't think Putin's let him talk in about 10 years.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and he's an interesting figure in terms of his uh, these different perspectives people have on him in the West versus the perspectives they have on him in the former Soviet Union. Uh, in the West, he is widely praised as being a guy who, without violence, in a relatively orderly manner, resolved the Cold War in a way that it could have gone far worse for the rest of the world. In Russia, he's widely despised.
0: Yep. So question for you. You said he was the something-something of the Communist Party general secretary?
1: I, 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 that was the old title that Stalin and a few of his predecessors used. I don't remember whether he purposely claimed the title himself, but he was certainly premier of, of, the, of the Soviet Party at the time.
0: I guess my question for you is, by the time that Reagan was over there demanding the wall fell, was he now? did he now have a different position, right? Because mm. the Communist Party but, collapsed.
1: They, they became a different government, right? I mean, Reagan was still demanding it before the Soviet Union collapsed, but I, I do not know for certain what his title was at the time. Um, yeah, that might of, be
0: the reason for the difference. Yeah, go ahead.
1: One of the interesting things about him, and one of the main, one of the things he was famous for in the period, was that he was a legitimate reformer in a variety of ways, glasnost, perestroika, in terms of trying to open up the Soviet Union, even at the period that this was occurring in. And part of the reason of that was how he was raised, that he was the first leader of the Soviet Union that essentially grew up after World War II. Uh, that the period of his coming to an adult, becoming part of the party, coming to his own, was under the Khrushchev years in the aftermath of Stalin's death, and that he was very directly inspired by Khrushchev's reforms and took that into his premiership. Whether they proved successful or not, is a question for historians, I think ultimately they, would, we could debate that either way, but it really reflects the fact that as much as you see as this as being an oppressive Soviet Union, he was a guy that was very much trying to open it in both a freedom of speech, freedom uh, capitalism kind of mindset, at least to the limited degree the Soviet Union could allow to occur.
0: Yes. And that sort of <clears throat> relative open-mindedness within that political ecosystem is going to be very, very important in this story.
1: God, yeah. I mean... It it is a really interesting. I don't. I don't know much about his how he handled the Chernobyl disaster, aside of what I've read since this and watching the show. But watching this, you really have a good feeling of. I'm really glad this guy was at the head of the table.
0: I'm. I'm very glad that three of these main actors, uh, you know, Boris (laughs) Legasov and Gorbachev, were all, uh, you know, at the table. But anyway, we cut back to the recap. And Boris is giving an update to Gorbachev and his team. And Boris basically is claiming everything's just hunky-dory. He's mm-hmm. he's saying what, you know, the plant operators told him. He's just quoting. Yep. He reports the radiation level of 3.6 Runkin and claims that it's the equivalent of a check x-ray. So if you need a checkup, he's, he's making jokes about this now. Um, Gorbachev immediately asked about the foreign press, which is interesting. I mean, it kind of tells you the Soviets are, are pretty paranoid about people figuring out their weaknesses.
1: And I, I like that Boris Shabina, Shir- I think is his name, is just yeah. really proud when he says, totally unaware. Just give me a pat on the back. I've kept it out of the press entirely. And it, through this
0: whole back and forth and charade, Legasov looks pained. And as Gorbachev breaks the meeting, he basically spits out that they can't. Um, he has this great quote, page three, the section on casualties. A fireman was severely burned on his hand by a chunk of smooth black mineral on the ground.
1: Mm -hmm. Outside
0: the reactor building, smooth black mineral, graphite. There is graphite on the ground. So that is what he was reading. That is what hewed to him there could be a severe problem with the core. And no one seems to understand what the hell he's talking about. Boris says, well, there's debris from the tank explosion. He's basically trying to get him to shut up, you know, because he wanted to, you know, clearly Boris wanted to look like he had this situation under control. Legasov not hearing it. He explains that the core must have exploded. Quote, yes, 3.6 runken." Which, by the way, is not the equivalent of one chest X-ray, but rather 400 chest X- X-rays. The number has been bothering me for a different reason, though. It's also the maximum reading on the level decimeters. They mm. gave us the number they had. I think the true number is much, much higher. If I'm right, this fireman was holding the equivalent of 4 million chest X-rays in his hand, which is fucking terrifying to me, Spencer.
1: It's just such an utterly incalculable number in my mind.
0: <laughs> it's just I don't even know. Yeah. It's almost like when people are like, yeah, like Amazon's worth a trillion dollars. I'm like, I don't know what the fuck.
1: What, what's a trillion dollars? Like, I don't even... I At mean, a, c- c- a, certain, a certain point, just say death He was holding death in his hand I can understand death much more effectively Than four million
0: chest x-rays Okay, I'll change it for you They gave us the number they had I think the true number is much, much higher If I'm right, this fireman was holding the equivalent of He's fucked in his hand Does that work?
1: <laughs> much more effective system for understanding they should have
0: had me, uh, you know, doing some doing some writing for the show. Boris pushes back and Legasov says that what he is saying is a fact, which was not a great word to say because Gorbachev then cuts him off, basically saying, hey, man, settle down. You're going a little too far. And Legasov understands, OK, I kind of snap there. I'm talking to the head of the Communist Party. And he mm-hmm. tries in a much calmer tone to say he just wants hey. to express what he's thinking. And Gorbachev mm-hmm. says he can, can continue. Legasov explains that the RBMK reactor uses uranium-235, he explains that every U-235 atom is a bullet. I love this analogy. It's a perfect description. Uh, for dummies like me, it makes me understand exactly what's going on, or not exactly, but at least generally. And Chernobyl holds over a billion trillion of these bullets in each gram, and Chernobyl has three million of those grams. So, a lot of bullets. Starts to talk through the implications of the bullets being released in the air via the fire that is still burning, and Gorbachev asks if his concern is primarily driven by the presence of the rock. <laughs> and Legasov I think really gambling here just says yes that's how that's how I got there
1: this is one of two Gorbachev moments of where he just so delightfully summarizes what the hell Legasov just said it's like so you got all that from a rock right and then later on it says and so you made lava just I love little Gorbachev's yeah. <laughs> just quick little summary descriptions here
0: <laughs> but that Legasov saying yes I think gave him some credibility yeah. instead of trying to you know sweeten it and make it sound a little better so Gorbachev then orders Boris to go look at the reactor bad idea um, and take Legasov with him. Boris doesn't like this. Clearly, it's a sort of threat to his his position. And mm-hmm. He challenges it. And a great quote here by Gorbachev. I'm nominated for best line of the episode. Do you know how to look? Do you know how a nuclear reactor works, Boris? No. Well, then how will you know what you're looking at?
1: It's such a, a practical, quick understanding of where he doesn't have time to invest too much in this. But he just very quickly assesses this needs to happen. You two have to go. Report back. You. It really does give an excellent view of Gorbachev as a leader in this scene.
0: Yeah, Gorbachev does come off well in this series. He does. Um, we cut to Boris and Legasov boarding a helicopter. Again, we get the ominous music. They are going to the disaster.
1: Yeah, and I've heard there's some complaints in the, so in, among uh, Russian reporters that this would be an unrealistic helicopter trip, but it makes for one hell of a quick visual in terms of how they get there.
0: Oh, yeah. I'm sure they use planes at some point.
1: (laughs) Planes or trains or automobiles. Who knows? doesn't matter. Makes for an effective just getting them from point A to point B. We can forgive a change for this, particularly given the visual that they have as they're going over.
0: Exactly. On board, Boris asks how a nuclear reactor works. Legasov quickly tries to explain what I so eloquently explained in our first episode, um, which is how a nuclear reactor works. Ultimately, yeah. he gets to the fact that when U-235 atoms hit each other, they release energy. That's called fission. And that energy spins the turbine. That's not a propeller. It's a turbine. It creates energy. Continues to use the U-235 atoms as bullet analogy, which I really like. He just uses that. And that clearly is resonating also with Boris, because Boris you know repeats that to him. He goes, oh, U-235 atoms. That's the bullet. hmm um, Legasov explains that the graphite is used to moderate the neutron flux, which is a, a phrase I think that Boris stores away. He says, okay, that, that's, what, that's why there's graphite there. Um, and then at the end he says, good, I know how a nuclear reactor works. Now I don't need you. <laughs> Ominous line, but very, very stupid.
1: It, it's part of putting in the character arc that this character has, that for the, particularly the first part of this episode, he is a dick. It doesn't last long. Because it can't. But early on, he's a dick. That's
0: a great way of putting it, Spencer. He's a dick. It doesn't last long because it can't.
1: Like, yeah. It gets
0: too big. It gets, you know, the it, issues that they're having are, are too dangerous.
1: And it's a credit um, to his character that he drops that kind of just prideful pretense quickly because the situation cannot allow it.
0: Yeah, yeah. Great point. And then we cut to, um, uh, we cut back to Chernobyl Hospital. And Ludmilla, Ludmila, she's one of the men who is on the bridge of death. Um, he's trying to give his baby away,
1: and he's already burning.
0: Tough, tough scene here, um, especially considering that Ludmila has a baby in her. Right? I mean, she's mm. I, the range of emotions she has to be feeling. I don't, I don't even know. Um, Ludmilla finds some party official who seems to be in charge, and he explains that Vasily is being taken to Moscow Hospital Six. Very Soviet name, Hospital Six that's it you know,
1: straightforward don't need the details not named after buddy it's the sixth hospital but it's what not we the
0: it. It. it's not the billy graham memorial burn center like it would be in fucking north carolina it's a <laughs> moscow it's hospital six
1: <laughs> as a person who just drove on billy graham memorial parkway to get away from the charlotte airport i know the feelings sir. <laughs> he even
0: you know, a weird uh, 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 sort of weird choice here by this guy i think he just wants to get her to go away he says that she's allowed to go to moscow to see him she can leave
1: yeah just i have too much to worry about sure go whatever
0: did we see Vasily being loaded onto a helicopter? And Spencer, not a doctor here, hand up. I'm doing the, the cable news thing. You know, when you're about to, to talk about somebody's medical condition, you say, I'm not a doctor. Um, he's not looking good.
1: No, no, he is not. And a lot of people that we're seeing at this point are not looking good. But it's still at this point in the show. And I love that the show keeps the true horror of this for a later episode. We don't get yet how fucked these people are. This is one of the first episodes that starts to reveal on a global scale how fucked we are, but it's not going to be until like three or four we see on a personal level how massively, torturously screwed the individuals are.
0: Well, I I want to push back on that a little bit, because I think if you you go into this with some level of understanding about what nuclear radiation, nuclear poisoning does to somebody, you might actually be thinking they're more fucked than they are, because when I first watched this, I thought everyone was dead. Yeah. I thought I didn't think we were anybody who was in in that area for more than about 24 hours after that motherfucker exploded was gonna survive. So I was I was overstating it, but I think you're right. If you go into it, and you literally know absolutely nothing. Mm-hmm. Then you don't know just how. I mean, probably one of the worst deaths you can you can cook up, right?
1: As night as nightmarish as the human mind can conceive.
0: Yeah. Um, Okay, so Boris and Legasov's helicopter approaches the building. And (laughs) Legasov mutters to himself, what did they do? Really, really tough. Um, He tells Boris, look, there's graphite on the ceiling. uh, Yeah, graphite on the the roof. And Boris says he doesn't understand how he could know that from that vantage point. Legasov, very frustrated, explains that the blue light, which you can clearly see emanating from the reactor, is radiation ionizing
1: the air. It's, again, one of these moments where if I see something literally glowing that doesn't have an electrical outlet connected to it, I'm going in the opposite direction. That's just, I think, human instinct. But these people do not have that.
0: Who are you talking to? I don't even like to walk over a grate on the sidewalk. My ass would would be in fucking China by now. Like, I'd be out. Um, This is pissing Boris off because he doesn't clearly understand what Legasov is trying to tell him. And so, he says, "Just go over the bu- go over the building. I want to look over the building." Legasov freaks out and he says, "No." And he actually calls him Boris, which pisses Boris off. <laughs> He's the- "Don't use my name." Um and he says they'll be dead within a week if they fly over it. We later learned that they would be dead in about 10 seconds if they flew over it. Mm. Boris again orders the pilot to go over and says he'll have him shot if he doesn't. Legasov then appeals directly to the pilot. Love this quote. If you fly directly over that core, I promise you that by tomorrow morning, you'll be begging for that bullet. It works. The pilot says, fuck this, and pulls away.
1: And Boris just kind of sits impotently, um, which I I think even he was kind of realizing that point that we're probably fucked if we do this. His pride was just up to the point. He didn't want to be second-guessed in front of other people.
0: He even does like when when they they turn, Legasov falls down a little bit, mm-hmm. and Boris Boris kind of guides him to his seat. Yeah, like I, I think Boris was, like a kind of happy that that <laughs> he got overruled that,
1: here. Thanks for calling me on my shit. I was just getting really prideful and pissed. Uh, we'll talk later.
0: Yeah, very cat like a cat moment. You know, a cat freaks out, then like ten seconds later, he's like hey, I'm sorry about that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it's specifically my cat, the one that really really hates <laughs> Levi. Um. <laughs> At the Belarusian Communist Party headquarters in Minsk, Yulana is waiting to talk to a party leader. Mm-hmm. Um, she's clearly been there a while. The secretary doesn't think he's actually going to see her, but he does walk out. This guy is named Deputy Secretary Garin, Garinin. Mm-hmm. She cuts to the chase when she sees him and says, I'm here about Chernobyl. And he has this great quote. I must tell you, this is why no one likes scientists. When we have a disease to cure. Where are they? In their lab. Noses in their books. So grandma dies. But when there isn't a problem, they are everywhere spreading fear she's not in in a mood for sort of a, a tete-a-tete so she just says she knows the core is exposed she tells them to provide and iodine tablets and to evacuate everyone he says well I, uh, yes there was a, a you know an accident in chernobyl but i've been assured there's nothing wrong she pulls rank and explains that she's a nuclear physicist and he used to work at a shoe factory
1: <laughs> you know and this is just a further example of and again love her character this is a wonderful demonstration of how she cannot work without the support of other people because none of this is what, none of what she's doing right now has any effect other than satisfying her own desire to report. She's not going to get a practical result by the route she is taking.
0: Yeah. I love this guy's response, which is maybe the most American response I've ever heard in, I will ever in, in hear. The in the Soviet
1: Union? Show. Yeah.
0: yeah it, this is such an American thing. This might as well be some guy in the Bronx saying this. Yes. Yeah. I worked at a shoe factory and now I'm in charge. <laughs> and, and then he does the toast which I will do right now with my stolichnaya in a cup to the workers of the world the
1: world <laughs> yeah
0: Spencer talk while I drink vodka
1: uh, what's the workers of the world is referencing uh, the communist manifesto of where it ends with the famous line the workers of the world unite you have nothing to lose but your chains and so this is a classic cry of various communist officials around the world to celebrate the various virtues that they hold dear
0: so he down some vodka like I just did and she leaves but before yulana leaves she gives iodine tablets to the secretary and advises her to go east as far away from minsk as you can this lady clearly believes yulana because she takes one immediately
1: yeah I mean, come on if you're in that circumstance and they and uh, the scientist walks out and tells you that with that level of seriousness are you not going to take one well she also works for this buffoon and she knows he doesn't know shit like
0: yeah. i mean she's not going to trust him uh we cut to boris and microsoft who have landed Spencer, question for you: uh, Do you think uh, Legas- I go between Legasov and Legasov? I don't know which which it is. Uh, Legasov knows he's dead. I
1: don't. I don't know whether he's had time to process it, but I think the thought has already passed to the back of his mind that this is so much worse than he ever could have even imagined it to be. And now that he's seen that open core, the air ionizing, it's got the thought has to have occurred to him.
0: Yeah, and then we cut to Fomen and Brukhanov, who at this point are really starring in the Soviet version of Dumb and Dumber. <laughs> They've become their own little stupid like buddy cop comedy, um, and they're trying to convince themselves that everything will be okay, which is like the height of denial. I mean, they it's so crazy. They saw the guy that they sent to go look at the damn core come back, just basically rotting, and
1: they're still trying to tell themselves everything's okay. I, the thing i just i just still i know denial is a hell of a thing but they had to have seen the building burning could Un- how could they not have
0: unbelievable yeah these guys are just such dopes and boris and Legosov meet them Brukanoff, the snitch immediately hands over a list of people who were accountable which that <laughs> shit is hilarious like hey like i know things are pretty fucked up right here now but here's a list of people you can kill um mm-hmm. and i didn't mm-hmm. do anything
1: yeah There's also a little line here saying the buck does not stop here. Just remember that. It's underlined twice.
0: And there are multiple moments in the show that I think that most Americans would just assume that the Soviets would be heartless animals, not care about individuals. And this might be a moment where, you know, an average American would think when this list gets handed over to Boris, that Boris would just say, "Okay, you know, put these people in the gulag or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, He doesn't. He ignores this completely. Um, and there are multiple moments like that that I think the show is trying to tell you that our conception of Soviet cruelty when you're dealing with their own citizens is probably
1: outsized. It is. Most of our concept of Soviet cruelty and punishment of citizens, like the immediate executions and gulags, really is informed by the Stalin period, where it was that. It was horrifying. By this point, there were still a couple political prisons and gulags, and there was still an incredibly oppressive state. But the idea of people being shot immediately, whatever else, was more of a threat than an actuality anymore. Like, when Boris is threatening those guys in the helicopter, he couldn't actually do that. But it's still enough of an ingrained cultural feeling that he can threaten it. And the same is true here with respect to the punishment of where there's no longer just, okay, kill 300 more, doesn't matter who. Have you ever heard that before? That was a, a famous little Stalin scrawl he put on the, on the top of an execution order?
0: No, no, tell the story.
1: He got Stalin would, of course, approve his own execution orders because Stalin was a sadistic bastard and famously on one of the execution orders he just wrote kill something like kill 300 more doesn't matter who it is and that just gives you a wonderful impression of the man that was leading one of the most powerful countries in the world for decades
0: and then on the other side of the spectrum there is Gorbachev
1: <laughs> yes um, sure yeah
0: <clears throat> no i think that's important though because i mean that that was a leader of that that country or collection of countries and and it they clearly have come a long way yeah. and i think the show is trying to show us that so our dumb american minds aren't just like oh yeah they're just gonna kill everybody mm-hmm. that's not true um however um brukhanov now you know clearly doesn't have a enemy so he tries to pivot to create another one and he goes in on legasov um, he asks, okay you've been going around spreading lies misinformation how could you tell me how could a core explode legasov legasov whatever he has the most He's he's such a scientist. I he love just his has, answer. I, I do, too. Answer. That's exactly what I want out of my scientist, right? He goes, I'm not prepared to answer that question
1: right now. Yeah, it's the it's the most perfect, accurate question. There's no assumption. There's nothing else. It's just that I lack sufficient data at this time to give you an informed answer. I'm working to fix that. Hold your fucking horses. Exactly.
0: Well, and he says that uh, Brugan then says Legasov is acting disgracefully and spreading misinformation. A uh, big point of focus for the Soviets. They don't like panic. They don't like the spread of misinformation. <clears throat> Boris completely ignoring him. I think he's picked up on the the, the fact that Brokinoff is a fucking buffoon by now.
1: Career politician. He just, he's seen the bullshit.
0: <laughs> he says, well, why did I see graphite on the roof? Foman says it's not possible. Uh, Foman is the, the chief engineer in Chernobyl. And Boris basically pulls a little rank. And it's interesting because he's able to, he knows what he doesn't know, but he also knows what he knows. And he says, mm-hmm. well, I, I know rock. I know concrete. That's not concrete. Like that's yeah. something different.
1: I, I love the trap he set for them there with just the foam because I think Burkanoff immediately just goes, uh, Fulman, why is it, why is there graphite in the roof? And Fulman just goes, uh it's it's burnt concrete. And as you said, Tribunal just goes, Nope, caught ya. That I know something about. Now I know you're full crap.
0: Yep. And then Boris says, Okay, well, how can we get to the uh, the, the truth of the matter? And my MVP of the episode, General Terkanoff, Pikalov.
1: Uh, um, uh, There's they, they, uh, so many weird pronunciations, but I think it's Pikalov based on the real guy. Uh, Pikalov? P-I-K-A-L-O-V. Pikalov.
0: All right, I'm going to look that up because that would mean that I have absolutely screwed up my notes. So you uh, talk about something.
1: Well, yeah, Pikalov, they referenced him a couple times that he's been sent to the scene because he controls like the... Uh, chemical exposure troops, the troops that are designed to deal with situations like this where there's been a leak, there's been a disaster. Situations that the regular military isn't designed to handle. Uh, Pikolov is a real figure. He was a general of the Soviet Union that was in, in command of this unit at this period. He'd fought in the, in the, he, he was a long-term soldier who'd fought in World War II and injured several times. And as a result of what he does in this episode and others in Chernobyl, he was declared a hero of the Soviet Union and, despite everything, lived into the 2000s comfortably. Again, showing the utter randomness of radiation, given what we're about to see him do in five minutes.
0: You're right. Pigalov. there is a Tarkinov, but he comes up later.
1: Yeah, and he is another real figure, and he is equally awesome. It's just, there's some really interesting major Soviet generals show up on this that are just willing to take the personal risks that they're putting their men through in a way that is utterly commendable.
0: Yeah, I don't like that you're putting some L's on me. Uh, this is not, I'm not enjoying the way
1: this, this episode's going. Um, I'm not puffing myself up with pride. I'm not doing that at all. Not at all.
0: Not not fair. I've got to do the recap and then you just poke holes <laughs> in it. I'm, I'm, I'm going to lash out here soon. Peaking hmm. off, and i got to tell you, Spencer, I would follow off into a battle against the Undead
1: God. Not um, helped by the fact that he's played by Shaga again. Uh, I, think, I think the name of the actor is uh, Mark... I can write it down here somewhere. Mark, uh, Mark Lewis Jones. He's, do, he's in a lot of great things, a lot of video games. I and mean, then he is a wonderful in this role. But as you said, what this guy's willing to do in this scene, I love it. said, wh- this is the kind of guy you're willing to charge into gunfire with.
0: He's in a lot of great things, a lot of video games. <laughs> he, he is. He's been several. He's also been
1: Mastering Commander. He played The Wailer. He's been in a lot of great movies. I'm sure, I'm sure. He says the high-range
0: decimeter just arrived. He proposes armoring a truck and driving it close to the fire and getting a reading. Um, Legasov explains that even with the lead shielding, it may not be enough. And oh my God, I got chills when this guy fucking said this. He says, oh, in that case, I'll do it myself. Mm-hmm. This is a general.
1: Yeah, I, I read something somewhere that said one of his motivations for doing this, and he really did make this trip, was that if I send a private... A, I'll be putting one of my soldiers at an, a, incredible risk. B, they'll be able to reject it because it's just a private. But go myself, uh, they can't deny it anymore.
0: That's 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 very strategic. But yet, you know, yet again, another illustration of, you know, if you think that in 1984 Soviet leadership were just throwing people, you know, dead bodies against a wall for this, that's not what they were doing. Like, you know, this this general said, "I'll do it myself."
1: I love the moment building up to it too, where Legosov basically just tells him, "Use any protection you have. Cover yourself with lead shielding. Still may not be enough." And to his yeah. response to that is, "Okay, then I'm going myself." Powerful uh, moment.
0: And in that moment, he stands in such—sorry—in uh, such stark contrast to Foam and Brokenoff, who were just yeah. fucking cowards who sent someone else to go look at the core, and then when they came back, you know, just inches from death, still said they were lying. <laughs> what fucking assholes! But anyway, the general does. He does exactly what he said he's going to do. He drives the truck again. The ominous music plays, letting us know he is going into danger, and he gets back. Boris and Microsoft are waiting. Uh, he and the truck get sprayed down immediately. Spencer just spraying it down, do anything.
1: That was actually one of the primary means at the time of treating it. Is just basically remove the surface layer of radioactive dust or particles that have accumulated on the vehicle. Uh, for that kind of quick exposure, that was the main way that they would kind of do it. They still would never use that truck again, but at least they could probably drive it somewhere safe for disposal. Yeah.
0: Well, he comes up and he says the decimeter reads fifteen thousand runken. <sighs> um.
1: <laughs> again, may, uh, this, your death, just death. We're fucked. Numbers, kind of thing. Yeah, but, and
0: he he's such but, a smartass about it
1: too, because he says it's not three point six; it's fifteen thousand. <laughs> you can picture him just being kind of pissed at that moment he said you just made me drive into that you fucks
0: yeah uh boris turns and he asks what that number means uh great quote here from Legosov. Oh, yeah. it means the core is open it means the fire we're watching with our own eyes is giving off twice the amount of radiation as the bomb in hiroshima and that that's every hour hour after hour 20 hours since the explosion, so 40 bombs. 48 more tomorrow, and it will not stop. Not in a week, not in a month. It will burn and spread its poison until the entire continent is dead. And that is all Boris needs to hear to know that Brokinov and Fomen have royally fucked this. He excuses them and sends them off to a local party headquarters.
1: Thank you for your service. (laughs)
0: Uh, The general proposes dropping water on the fire. Legosov says that won't work. He then drops which I mean, spoiler alert, might be the... Line of the episode. You are dealing with something that has never occurred on this planet before. Basically, trying to say this is no normal fire. If you put water on it, it's just going to release more energy. It's just going to be worse.
1: It, doesn't he say something like it's burning at two thousand degrees or something? It's just like yeah. Any liquid you put near that is just going to instantly vaporize. If you put somebody, a person, near it, they're going to pop like a balloon. It's yeah. god. So he suggests dropping
0: boron and sand. Admits that that may create its own problems. That does come up again. Mm-hmm. Uh, Boris asks how much. Um, he's you know, Legasov says, "Well, most of it's probably going to miss, so probably about five thousand tons." <laughs> That's a lot of boron and sand. Um, but Boris, at some point during this, they have this back and forth. He kind of snaps and he, he wants to establish that he's in charge because he's getting frustrated that Legasov keeps telling him, "I don't know, I don't know." He wants answers, and he says, mm-hmm. "You know, basically." I want to hear what you understand, not the things you don't understand. Not necessarily a bad suggestion. Mm-hmm. Um, Boris then storms off. Legasov, where are you going? Boris, I'm going to get you 5,000 tons of sand and boron.
1: Which is, again, one of the first moments we really see just how utterly important Boris uh, uh, sherbino was to this. That he had the kind of pull and authority that when the scientist tells him, I need 5,000 tons, he has a practical means of getting that, apparently.
0: <laughs> well, did you know that they actually got every bit of stock of sand and boron in the entire Soviet Union. No, I did not know that. <laughs> yeah, because they because they dropped it over a period of days. Yeah, they yeah. got every bit. Basically, Boris just said, "Hey, Gorbachev, I need every bit of sand
1: and boron we have." This that is was just, that was the order. This is again just a situation of where we, as the United States, I don't know if we could have fixed a situation like this because we're just not the kind of nation with the kind of you know relatively semi despotic authority in place that can just send out the order saying we're requisitioning all sand and boron send it here.
0: I don't know. I mean, I guess we were in World War II when we just took over every manufacturing plant and said no, now you're doing guns and bombs.
1: Yeah, but that's a kind of, we're fighting the Germans, not there is a otherworldly horror that's occurring on our border. I don't know how well people would be willing to accept or believe that.
0: Yeah, there'd be a lot of deniers. Oh, those scientists. They don't know anything. <laughs> it's all fine.
1: Grandma died of a disease while they were just talking. <laughs> Um, Boris,
0: uh, yeah, he's, so he's off to get the, the 5,000 tons of sand and boron, real boss move there. Uh, and Legasov goes off to a hotel. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, Legasov walks into a very Soviet looking hotel. Sidebar, Spencer, Soviets have possibly the worst taste in carpet ever.
1: (laughs) You know, I hadn't thought about that during the episode, but man, yeah, good call. They really do. I'm not a big fan of carpet anyway. I'm more of a
0: hardwood guy, Mm -hmm. but that carpet is horrendous that you know what actually I'm I'm, actually I'm gonna take it back that is the same carpet that is in a hotel in Pyongyang right now
1: yes it may be the same carpet that was in that hotel at that period but yes
0: (laughs) yes uh wants a drink but this is something you alluded to when I was talking about drinking my Stoliknaya out of a cup earlier he asked the bartender to give it to him from a cup that had been previously covered um it's actually pretty it's a telling moment but it's also kind of sad because in its futility Mm-hmm. because it's not going to make a difference. Now, there are less, obviously less, you know, nuclear isotopes, whatever. Danger. Danger in the cup. I'm going to say danger in the cup. There's danger less danger. The less danger in the cup for the cup that has been turned over than the one that has been exposed. That's not going to make the difference between living and dying for him. And it's him. I I felt like it was him trying to just desperately assert some level of control over what was happening to his body. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lady asked if he's there because of the fire. Uh, she s- sorts out that he's from Moscow. And she asks if that's anything they should be worried about. And Legasov lies through his gritted teeth and says no.
1: And did you... I didn't, at this time, realize what this was, as this is revealed in a later episode. Did you pick up who these characters were that were asking these questions? No. I did not either. And it came as a surprise to me when we find out a couple episodes from now that these are KGB agents. His testing has already begun.
0: Yep. Yep. And he... I mean, you could read his body language. like I said it's through gritted teeth it's clear that he doesn't want to give this answer but he does give the right answer he passes Um, and it and it makes sense because he was directed to this hotel
1: yeah he said hey
0: there's a hotel go to that
1: hotel mm -hmm. also practically speaking would it help would it have helped if he told them the truth If these were his regular citizens it is one of the circumstances of where widespread panic does not help an official response much
0: no i mean it's i probably would have said the same thing uh, because i i would have focused my effort not on trying to get one person to take one car to leave instead i'd be focusing on let's let's play within the rules let's Mm -hmm. let's keep the car on the road and try to get everybody out of here which is really what he's focused on
1: let's just find a way to convince dad that we need to drive the car to this destination this particular way
0: Mm -hmm. we cut to a shot of a dead baby deer bambi did not survive the chernobyl Mm -hmm. explosion Uh, and it kind of transitions into the morning and helicopters are flying overhead. This is the next morning. This is uh, April 27th. This is 30 hours after the explosion. And Boris, true to his word, he got the sand and Boron. They are dropping it over. Uh, Legasov and um, uh, uh, Boris are watching this and one helicopter is getting too close. Legasov notices it and starts warning them. Um, One flies directly over the core and is destroyed.
1: Mm -hmm. And this is almost an exact video of an incident that really did happen at Chernobyl. As you can see, the helicopter clips a line and just goes down like a sack of bricks. The only difference is it happened not on day one. It happened a couple weeks later, but as a terms of setting up the dramatic tension of the scene, it works better here.
0: Yeah. I mean, it it gets the point across, which is when they're dropping the sand and boron, they needed way, way more. They needed a ton of it to actually put this fire out. But they needed way 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 more than they actually needed because they couldn't fly over so it was like they were basically slingshotting these yes. these packets of sand and boron they're kind of flying the the helicopter up close to it stopping as the momentum from the sand and boron goes forward then they let it go and hope that it lands on it
1: yeah you can hear just the utter futility of what they're trying to do or how much time this is going to take when you hear Microsoft just say we need the wind to carry it into place
0: yeah that's a lot um, extra boron they're dropping, then. Yeah. Of note in this scene, I think we're really starting to see the trust that Boris is developing for Legosov. Because awesome. when Legosov says they can't fly over the core, Boron is confused, and he basically is like, "Well, how are we going to drop sand and boron over it?" And Legosov says, "The wind will have to carry it," and Boris just accepts that answer.
1: Yeah. I mean, th- there's no second guessing here at all. He, he asks Legosov for advice. Legosov gives it, and he immediately just turns the radio operator and repeats it. it. We're really starting to see that a lot of Boris's prickliness has just been shaved off by the circumstances.
0: Yep. Uh that would not have happened in the first ten minutes of this episode. No, so they are no. clearly developing a relationship, uh or at least a trust. And Boris asks if there's any other way. Microsoft says no. Boris says, All right,
1: send the next one in. <laughs> though, though he advises let's go from a different direction.
0: Yeah, Trip Sendman for the West this time. Um we cut to the kurchatov Institute in Moscow. You're getting good um, with these Russian names. I cannot pronounce these things. Yeah, a yeah, little bit of practice. Um Maybe I should be practicing what the hell The actual radiation is, not radiation stuff Instead of the Russian names But I guess I guess we're, Russian kind of tag, we're tag teaming this thing
1: You're being a news reader, you just have to read this stuff We got this down
0: <laughs> So Yulana is calling an old friend who's at the Kirchstoff Institute And she makes a little small talk Very awkward, very very awkward small talk uh, And she mentions visiting somewhere uh, And gets cut off I'm not quite sure what was going on with that scene Spencer, do you have any insight into what the who she was talking to And what she was trying to do
1: I mean, she seemed to be talking to a, a fellow scientist and was try, figuring that this scientist in Moscow, closer to where the actual decisions are being made, was trying to get hints from them as to what was happening in Chernobyl. And so a lot of this appears to be in some degree of code. Like, our friend of the country, country Chernobyl, um, what's what, what's going on there? Oh, it's really hot there right now, extremely hot. Um, but don't worry, they're bringing the children, Seminka." and 14 and boris boron 5 she's giving her she's reading off the periodic table or giving her the symbols for silicon and boron with the radioactive with with their uh, various um, atomic numbers
0: phenomenal spencer Great analysis there. And I'm not being sarcastic at all. That was really good. Because mm-hmm. uh, I, I certainly didn't catch that. I don't think 95% of the people watching this would have caught that.
1: It's purposeful. really, Really,
0: really, really good.
1: Well, and it's it purposely having to be really subtle for the scene because they can't talk directly. They'll be cut off immediately and probably be both arrested by the KGP. They have yeah. to be have make this incredibly to agree in code. And so... Makes it hard to get, but at least immediately afterwards, Komiya returns to Dimitri, who's as clueless as the audience is as to what the hell happened, and just says, yep. they're dropping Santa Buran on the fire.
0: Yep, and he says, well, that's what I would do. And she, ice-cold blood in her
1: veins, says, yes, I'm sure it is. And, um, and, and again, this is a biting criticism out of her, but again, what else could they do right now? They, they're solving the most immediate problem they've been lied to as to the rest of the information well that's my problem
0: with Yulana is that she she shits all over the sand and boron idea but she never offers a you know
1: alternative there isn't one there truly isn't there's just, there's just another thing another problem they have to solve as they go about this that they're not informed about right now
0: so we cut to boris and he reports to Legasov that the sand and boron is dropping dropping is going well they're in some little room um Legasov pushes the issue of evacuating he says people will be hurt by staying. Boris says, Well, we're staying here. And legasov snaps really, really tough line here. He says, Yes, we are, and we'll be dead within five years. And this clearly shocks Boris. I don't think that he was aware of just how much imminent danger he was in by being there. Yeah, um
1: I, I think, the, I think I, I'm, I'm browsing through the script as we're going through this because it's fun to see the little notes that they included based on like stage directions. And the word they used for him is gutted. And that's a real good term for how he looks in this scene.
0: Legasov apologizes for how he delivered the news. Uh, Boris sits down. The phone rings. Boris is told a nuclear power plant in Sweden. So I think, yeah, Sweden has detected the radiation and traced it traced it to their fuel, which is interesting. It's something I didn't know, but apparently, you know, like, uh, fuel that comes or energy that comes from these nuclear reactors, there's a bit of a fingerprint on it. Mm-hmm. And when they, were a- when they tested what was in
1: their air, they were able to trace it back to Chernobyl. And apparently, as we find out, uh, he also even says that Sweden like forwarded the information to the Americans, and the Americans just placed a satellite right over uh, took Chernobyl a bunch of pictures of it. Yep. yep. <laughs> Leading and to they, immediate questions, saying, "Okay, guys, the fuck talk." Yeah, and, and then you have this sort of depressed
0: line from Boris. He says, "The whole world knows." This seems to trouble him just about as much as the idea that he's going to be dying in the next five years. Yeah. Um, possibly because the the world knowing might mean he dies in the next five years anyway. Who knows um he explains that the wind isn't blowing toward germany uh and they won't let kids play outside in frankfurt
1: and as he looks out the window they cut to the view of children playing right outside their door
0: and ominous music plays and then we cut to a real clip of peter jennings Mm -hmm. um who's reporting on the situation he's very careful to say here's what the soviets are saying Mm -hmm. and not here's what happened right that's how the news is being reported back then anything the soviet said was met with a level of distrust
1: yeah, I love his opening line. In a later interview, you talked about that this was the most shocking element of this, is that his opening line is, there has been a nuclear accident in the Soviet Union, and the Soviets have admitted that it happened. Yep. That, that was the shock for all journalists. Peter Jennings himself mentioned this, is that that had never happened before. There was any kind, if, to the degree the Soviets ever admitted anything went wrong, you knew it had to be 10 times worse, because otherwise they wouldn't even talk about it.
0: Well, I mean, I think that that is an indication of just how serious it was. Like they're so. admitting it this quickly afterwards. This is a real fucking problem that they oh. cannot ignore. Um, what do we cut to now? We see a whole bunch of buses approaching Pripyat. An announcement is being made in Russian, which we can reasonably assume is evacuation instructions, kind of over a loudspeaker that's going throughout the town.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It's interesting that the evacuation didn't happen until the world knew about the accident. I don't know if this is this is real or not. I don't know the timeline. But it, within the context of the show, I find that pretty interesting and kind of disturbing also interesting that they clearly had the evacuation resources at the ready now i do know that this is true that when they decided to evacuate they just had fucking a ton of buses ready to go
1: buses go apparently i was reading this the what's going on the loudspeaker, and i have the translation here if you're curious is really what was playing as they were evacuating people
0: yeah yeah that's cool you're gonna
1: tell us well, I mean, it's a, it's a long, long spiel, but basically it's attention, attention, attention. The city council informs you that due to the action at Chernobyl power plant, the radioactive condition, and then cuts off the radio conditions in the vicinity are deteriorating. And basically advises them the Communist Party and its officials are taking steps to combat this and protect you, to keep you safe and healthy. As a result, it is necessary for you to temporarily evacuate. Yeah, turn yeah, off that's your the big electricity, thing. turn off your water, leave your pets behind, you'll be back soon. That kind of thing.
0: That's the, the tough part about it, is they told everybody they'd be back within a f- couple days. Um,
1: they, and, of course, they had to know when they were saying that that, that was absolutely false and that w- they would never be returning.
0: We see a shot of that party official, who uh, Maester Lewin, who was, mm-hmm. uh, who was basically calling the shots the night of the Chernobyl accident. Now he's just one Not of the anymore. masses. He and looks just, just confused and scared. Yep, and he's getting on one of the buses. And hand up, I teared up at the dog chasing the bus. Yeah, particularly knowing how this show ends. Well, I looked into it, and that actually happened. Um, Really? Multiple people reported that their dog came with them to the bus stop and chased the bus as it went away.
1: Well, come on. You have to believe that Emerson would be chasing y'all. I like that you go to Emerson and not your own dog. I'm talking about you and you tearing up. (laughs) Poppy would probably be so excited he'd run in the opposite direction towards the soldiers. I know my dog. (laughs) You hate your dog.
0: Um, we cut to a checkpoint where a bunch of buses are leaving. Everybody's getting the hell out, and one car is trying to get in. It's Yulana. She's told she can't, and the guard threatens to arrest her. She doesn't give a shit. She says, "If you arrest me, take me to the highest possible authority." Kind of jars the guard there a little bit. It does. not quite know what to do with that, so he does that. He does just that. He takes her to the highest possible authority.
1: He, he takes her to that lead general, mm-hmm. and that general apparently immediately hears her and goes, "Okay, um, yeah, you can need to talk to people now."
0: Yeah, Legasov is going over plans with Boris. Boris seems a little phased. He's not yeah, right exactly. in the moment. And they bring Yulana. And I think I, I took this as he's still processing the fact he's a dead man walking.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: They bring Yulana into the room, and she explains that she, she's just throwing heaters right off the bat. I mean, this is, this is the equivalent of, like, a, an NBA player. You're a rookie tip off you take a 32 footer right away right i mean this, this lady is just throwing heaters she says look i know the reactor core is exposed on fire and they're dropping sand and bore on it she says i know you think that's a good idea smothering the core and it will put the fire out but it's going to cause a meltdown legasoft cuts her off he says, yeah i know about that but we'll have a month to sort of reinforce everything make sure it doesn't get down into the groundwater mm-hmm. uh, and it'd be a bigger problem she says actually you have two days legasoft says what the fuck and she says the fuel that would normally um uh, you know, she says, sorry, the, the the meltdown that would normally take a month was gonna take two days. And the reason for that is it's gonna hit a series of water tanks and Legasoft immediately cuts her off, says the tanks are empty. And Yulana says, No, look at these points, these drainage points, all throughout the building, right? Mm-hmm. And this is this is the type of thing that I'm sure it took many 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 scientists to put together right this yeah. is a highly researched thing that she's providing
1: here not help by the fact that clearly that they've legos office are relying on information he got from the plant workers that these tanks are empty and he built a lot of his plan apparently around that fact only now to be told nope full of shit
0: but that's why i say that a lot of scientists had to be yeah. involved in this right because they did not they took every assumption and teased it out and they were able to figure out no these are the drainage points and you idiots have had firemen just spraying water in this thing yeah. the entire yeah. time and the tanks are full yeah. and as soon as she says that Legasov clicks he says oh shit the tanks are full and you can see panic
1: on his face yeah it's just they're all processed together i think people have says oh yeah fire hose has been still connected they're like gushing water in the structure all the time it's just like oh dear christ what kind of thermal explosion are we building for we hadn't put we hadn't calculated
0: yeah so boris having a bad day <laughs>
1: He found out... Uh, Everybody he, having a bad day.
0: He found out he's gonna be. He's a dead man walking, and he found out they might blow up half of the continent. Um, they cut to a meeting with Gorbachev, uh, and Gorbachev is clearly pissed. He looks stressed. He says he gets 10 minutes before he has to get back on the phone and apologize
1: to every damn body. Well, one thing even before that, just to go into, again, just the level of just media shock that's going on right now. Isn't right before this they even have a news clip of the like, Soviet news even telling us what, that something's happening? Oh, yeah, yeah.
0: That that was kind of forgettable to me. I mean, it was it, like, it was so fucking, I, I guess that's what they were going for, but it was just so basic. It's like, oh, we
1: have an issue. It Period. was pretty basic. But again, it's just now even their own media is reporting that it happened.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, I, I yeah, I mean, I guess they kind of can't get away from it yet again. It's so, it's so bad. And they it, it, you, by the way, you notice they don't report on it until they have to evacuate Pripyat.
1: Yeah, because at that, that, that point, people are going to talk.
0: Yeah. Uh, but anyway, we're back to Gorbachev. Yeah. He's apologizing every damn body. Uh, he kind of get preachy here. He says, you know what, guys, our power comes from the perception of our power. Do you understand what this has done? Do you understand what is at stake? Gorbachev, very forward focused. He understood how fragile the Soviet Union was and how something like this could really be a problem for them, which it
1: was. Apparently, he also learned from the Varus school of where power resides. And, you know, credit to him. It's a good place to learn it. <laughs>
0: uh, yeah, he asked for an update from Boris and Boris just doesn't even pretend this time. He just says, oh, going to talk. <laughs> i've learned i've learned that i don't know saving time um, lagosov explains that the sand and boron are working however the fire won't be out for two weeks but they have another problem the sand and boron will put the fire out but the uranium will still be hot actually probably hotter because it's it's you know Smuffered. covered yeah and they, the sand will melt um creating a sort of lava and this is the quote that you called from earlier <laughs> Gorbachev, really condensing things he goes you made lava <laughs>
1: <laughs> to which, like just said, I anticipated this. This is all part of the plan. Uh,
0: except um, uh, I thought that we'd have enough time before the meltdown happens to reinforce the sort of shield below. However, he didn't anticipate the large water tanks under the reactor core would be full, but they are. He gives a shout out to Yulana. Gives her the floor, which I thought was really cool. Mm-hmm. And she explains that when the lava, sand lava melts down to the tanks, it will cause a significant thermal explosion from Gorbachev how significant she says we estimate between two and four megatons anything within a 30 kilometer radius will be destroyed including the three most importantly including the three remaining reactors in Chernobyl she explains that the radiation will impact Ukraine Latvia Lithuania Belarusia Poland Czechoslovakia Hungary Hungary um, Romania
1: and most of East Germany the entire the entire Warsaw Pact is about to be radiated Legasov clarifies that the impact
0: means an impact of food and water supply and a significantly increased rate of cancer, birth defects. However, for Belarusia and Ukraine, it means they won't be in the entire country won't be inhabitable for at least 100 years. That's more than 60 million people. And this is now going to happen between 48 and 72 hours. So this is now, this is this moment right now when when Legosoff explains this is going to happen between 48 and 72 hours that is the most dire this situation gets at all i mean this is the the biggest stakes we're dealing with i mean i don't don't think that's a spoiler to say i mean half the fucking continent's going to
1: go away 60 million people are going to be displaced for at least 100 years and legosoft just lets this moment hang for a second before then saying but i think we have a solution
0: so we got to get some plant workers to go inside the plant to go in and open the tanks makes sense tanks are full let's let's drain the tanks it removes mm-hmm. that immediate problem of that significant <laughs> thermal explosion <laughs> um Legasov asked for permission and gorbachev seems perplexed why he says because basically they'll be dead within a week if they do this and he has this great quote we're asking you for permission to kill three men and again uh, i keep harping on it through this episode I think most Americans would go into this thinking that Gorbachev would have been like 3, 5, 10, 30, whatever. I don't care. But he actually gets quiet, gets a little solemn, and he says all victories inevitably come at a cost.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: that's obviously the right thing to do. I mean, they're making the right call here. But they all look like they don't like it. Yeah, They okay. don't like sacrificing three men. Even if it's to save a million, they don't want those three to die.
1: Yeah, and it, a little bit of historical trivia. What they're describing here was essentially the worst case scenario for what for what they thought could happen. They didn't necessarily think that was realistic, but they had to build around it being the possibility. It would have essentially required like all the lava to fall into all the water at the same time. So they didn't realistically think it would have been necessarily at that degree, but to the degree it happened at all, it would have been a massive thermal explosion and blown up all the reactors. So whether it was going to be I don't know, a 10 kiloton bomb or a four megaton bomb, it still would have blown up the reactors and still caused the situation. Just matter of degree of how many die and how many areas you can ever live in again.
0: So uh, did you know that actually when it melted down, it didn't even get past that initial plate?
1: And which proves really interesting for the... um, The miners, yeah. Yeah, the miners that are down below in terms of their efforts being ultimately unnecessary.
0: Yeah, so basically, what he's—you're right—he's describing a worst-case scenario. But in reality, if they had done nothing, it wouldn't have happened. Um, but nonetheless, they were doing everything. I mean, when you're faced with that, you do every fucking thing you can.
1: No, you have to plan for the worst-case scenarios mm-hmm. so when the worst-case scenario is sixty million people can no longer live where they live, assuming they don't die before we can move them, you—that's what, your, what you're. That's what you. That's the scenario you're trying to prevent happening. That's what you have to build every every one of your plans on, because it's too nightmarish of an off chance to not be prepared for.
0: Yeah, actually, and and I was getting ahead of myself a little bit. Let me let me back that up. They needed to drain the tanks.
1: Yeah, that <laughs> that would have
0: caused an explosion. But after they drain the tanks, that's when it becomes like really conjecture as to what could happen next, and and that gets to be a, a sort of difficult storyline. But we'll deal with that in the next episode. Sure. Um, we cut to. Oh, and at the end of that I noticed the, the actor who's playing Boris, Skarsgard, uh, he looks like he's about to vomit. I mean, I don't think I don't think he were meant to think this is actually a physiological thing. I think he's just so
1: emotionally messed up. Yeah. And Skarsgard is a wonderful actor and does like everybody else does wonderfully in this role, but yeah, he's you can see just the barely holding together stress of Boris in the scene.
0: Yeah, we cut to uh it's 9:30 uh April 28th, 56 hours after the explosion. Ominous music is playing as we see the empty Pripyat. Um, and this is this is reminiscent of some of the shots that you'll see if you just Google Chernobyl now where it looks like just people just got up which they did. They just got up and left. So like mm-hmm. you have dinner tables that have food and half empty bottles of vodka or water just still sitting there. Because people just got up from where they were and just left. The largest ghost town in the world, essentially. I know, and you want to go right into it. Get yourself some thyroid cancer. (laughs) Legasov is talking to the plant workers. He says, he's not doing a great job. He says, anyone who volunteers will get a yearly stipend of 400 rubles. Spencer, do you kind of have an idea of how much 400 rubles was worth in 1984?
1: I'm pretty sure at this point, the Soviet dollar was actually worth a little bit more than the American dollar. So, but Yeah. <laughs> nah, it's like nothing. It's like pittance for what they're asking them to do. Yes, and the workers call them out on that as they're going through this. Where you want us to do what for like five hundred bucks? No.
0: Yeah. Well, and also, you know, they did throw in anybody still working in reactor core one or two. Which what? Um, what do you get a promotion? So one guy, like you said, <laughs> he, he he speaks up. He says, well, first off, why are these reactors still operating?" Question we all want to know. Mm. and he says someone working in reactor core one that apparently he knows on the no he knew on the night of the explosion um is dying
1: yeah
0: and he, they of course they've heard about the firemen and now they want me to swim below a burning reactor do you even know how uncontaminated it is this guy says why should i die for this
1: yeah
0: and boris yeah i mean this is his this is a real seminal his moment for this character.
1: Hour right here
0: absolutely defining moment for this character he says you'll do it because it must be done you'll do it because nobody else can and if you don't millions will die if you tell me that's not enough i won't believe you this is what always set our people apart a thousand years of sacrifice within our veins Every generation must know its own suffering. I spit on the people who did this, and I curse the price I have to pay. But I'm making my peace with it. Now you make yours. Go into that water because it must be done.
1: My line of the episode right there. That little delivery right there.
0: You go into that water because it must be done. I, man, what a what a leader. One guy stands up. His name is Anatinko, Or no, Aninko. Sorry, Aninko. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Bezpilov. And then Baranov. And they got their three. Tinko,
1: uh, uh, And this is just such a damn powerful scene and just so powerful from it goes here where these are real people. These are their names. Yeah, these are three guys who volunteered yeah. to do this shit.
0: Yeah, and I, I'm using their names, you know, because I think it's important that you use their names because these are legit, 100%, not ironic. Internet, don't fucking question me on this. These are actual heroes because... But, but, they thought when they went in this motherfucker, they were going to be dead in a week. And of a terrible, well, the worst kind of death. But they said, you know what? I'm going to do it because I can save millions of people. These
1: are absolutely heroes. And these are plant workers, too. They knew what radiation exposure was better than anybody else. These guys know exactly what they're walking into. It's why they've been high, come to, to do this. It's just How many people can you literally point at and know their names and say, this man helped save the world?
0: Anoninko, Bespalov, Baranov heroes. The, the, now, do you know what happened to them?
1: I, you know, it was reported for decades in the west that they died quickly and painfully. And relatively recently, like within the last 20 years, it came out, nope, they're still alive. Well, two of them are still alive. Two of them are still alive now. Yep, they lived. They lived. Now, there, there's God, a lot radiation of radiation next... is random.
0: We're going to talk about. Well, I don't know. It's somewhat random, but I think there's some some reasons for this. We're going to talk about this in the next episode. This is what's called a teaser in the business, Spencer.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, we're going to talk about how these these guys lived, but they did. They 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 did not die within a week, two weeks, a month, a year. They mm-hmm. lived. Um, cut to officials prepping the three men. They're loading them up with all kinds of equipment, and they are they are just getting every kind of layer on top of them um and they've got oxygen tanks um and every part of their body is covered Legasov is watching Spencer do you think he feels a bit of responsibility for not catching that the water tanks were full yet because I feel like the actor kind of acted this as if he was like kind of really down on himself
1: yeah I I think he really does and I think he feels no small amount of guilt of where you know he's a scientist it's not part of his job to send people to die but these are essentially three people that he just helped recruit for the purpose of saving the world through their own violent, painful demise. There's no, I can't imagine what guilt I would feel in that situation, and the actor does a wonderful job of representing it.
0: Yeah, and just as a general policy, um, I want everybody to listen to Mangum Talks podcast first and foremost. These are the podcasts you should be listening to, obviously, of all the podcasts in the world. Listen to us. Once you've listened to us, I would tell you to go out and listen to the actual HBO commission podcast with the showrunner about the show. Mm
1: -hmm. Because Mm -hmm. in
0: episode two, the showrunner talks about what a hard scene this was to shoot, these guys going in to try to flush these tanks out. Because basically what you're dealing with is in reality they were in the dark. They didn't really have lights. That's not they didn't they didn't carry flashlights in there. Mm-hmm. They also even if you put flashlights into the situation, you couldn't see their face. Yeah. And so how do you act this thing? And, and I think he did as good a job as you could. Um, and I think the way that he ended up doing it is through the grunting. Because and and the fact that they had decimeters in their hand
1: and this geiger counter's good god yeah
0: so those things start going off and as it gets more and more then they start grunting they start freaking out and they're like we have to do this quickly Mm -hmm. Um, and they start panting the lights go out you know probably because the level of radiation was such that it just fried the the light right um and everything goes silent and we have the end of episode two
1: of chernobyl I I have two quick thoughts right there. Uh, One, there are so few moments of me experiencing media of where I see a nightmare just visibly put on screen, just something that I cannot imagine how I even process process the abject horror of it. But how this episode ends of them in the increasingly dark, desperately trying to get their lights back on as the Geiger counter needles just bury and those disseminator noises are just echoing through our ears is what nightmares are made of to me i
0: agree but i will say that they did this in the dark and they did it by feel which to I know. Me is even more fucking impressive it's amazing like they they were like oh i know this pipe right i know this pipe and we have to go right up here like yeah. just just amazing
1: and i've heard it theorized before uh i think it was from my professors back in school that the sheer amount of radiation that was in the air that was about out and about and the ionizing effect it would have the water that they were going through for substantial parts of this probably had about the same acidity as battery acid. Just to add to the excitement.
0: Yep. <clears throat> um, so, that's the, the end of the episode. You said you had two points. That was
1: your well, first. What's your second? It, it, one of the things... Again, the feeling I'm having throughout all of this, we're hearing their names, we're seeing these guys do go and do this, we're seeing them walk into the most effective depiction of hell we have put on Earth all of a sudden by our own foolishness. I'm just reminded of this um, quote from American history of... Um, one of the worst defeats we had in the Revolutionary War was the Battle of Long Island, of where we saw George Washington, as inspiring as a leader as he was, was not that great of a general for most of the war. Nope. But uh, he had to put the what are now known as the Maryland four hundred kind of behind him, led by a Lord Sterling, one of the forgotten heroes of the American Revolution, to just buy time. And these guys kind of volunteered to do it, of where they just single handedly, fought, like I think it's like by that point they're like two hundred and fifty guys, just charged the British Army like eight times. Just dying wholesale, being cut apart. Uh, Lord Sterling leading them the whole way. And George Washington's on a ridge just looking back as he's watching these men die for the sake of the rest of the army and just says, good God, what brave fellows must I this day lose? And that's just the thought that's going through my mind as I'm watching these three guys go down into hell. It's just the bravery. I can't process the bravery of these guys to go do what they did. And this is just well, scene just hammers home it.
0: Well, no, that's a question for you. Like, you, I have two questions for you. One, do you think you could have done this? Do you think you could have volunteered for it? And I think, it, I think a no is, is not an answer that everybody should be ashamed of. Uh, and I think the second question is, interject yourself into this whole story and all these characters. Where do you think you would have been most effective to help deal with the, 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 the issue? Because Levi and I played that second part out the other day over text. I thought it was pretty interesting. I
1: mean, it's just one of those things where I sincerely hope I'm of a character to have volunteered to do it. I just don't know how productive I could have been in those circumstances. I, just picture, my, I picture myself just trembling to a point that I can't even function under those conditions. I, I sincerely wish I was a person who was capable of doing that. I just don't know if I am for, the, for what those three guys went, under, went underground into the dark to do. In terms of what skills I can bring to bear... Uh, in terms of, it's an interesting question to ask. It is a fun question to ponder. Did you and Levi come to a conclusion while I kind of tap dance around as I think of the answer?
0: We didn't talk about would you have gone down, you know, and and been one of the divers. We, we didn't have that, but we said, where do you think you would have been most effective or what, what role do you think you really would have played? Mm -hmm. Um, and Levi said that he thought he would have been
1: one of the miners. Yeah, I can picture <clears throat> Levi doing that. Yeah, I Levi Levi's the leader of that mine group.
0: Yeah, like you, you, if you come to us and you tell us the truth about what's going on, yeah, we'll go. We'll go do this, but you need to be honest with me first.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and I, I posited that I would have been most effective as Boris. Basically, like, how, yeah, how much, how much sand and boron do you need? Okay, very, very
1: much I'll, so. Bro, I'll so. go
0: get you the sand and boron.
1: I picture myself being as kind of like one of the supportive secondary guys that defo- that follows the orders upon the command of somebody like you. So something like Pikolov in terms of a general being driving up to – it's one of the weird things where I'd be much more willing to drive the truck up to the door than I would be willing to go into the dark under the plant. I'm not sure what about that just horrifies me more. But- oh, no, I
0: think I'm, I'm right there with you. It's I mean, can you imagine being down there? I mean, what if you I, – no, I, I, there's so many things that spin out in your mind when you're down yeah. there and it's going so much slower than just ram ramming a jeep right up to a you know a certain area and then coming back but know, I, ter- so i think you're right
1: there but in terms of somebody who's not making decisions but it's enforcing the decisions to people below them something like a peak log or some uh, some some general like that i think i'd be useful in, a, in in terms of that i think i'd be the situation that i do very well at
0: yeah i think i could have I, I clearly wouldn't have been the scientist but i could have been somebody who said okay i need to listen to like a soft, let's like
1: uh, let's well, let's I, try to
0: work the system to get this.
1: done. If we're continuing to assign our mm-hmm. friends to roles, I'm picturing a mix of BJ and Joey as comu- as a Comyoke. <laughs> uh, just, just being the, the guy the guy who clearly knows his shit, but just such an asshole. You kind of want to punch them even as they're telling you the necessary things.
0: Yeah, yeah, that sounds about right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, well, that's the wrap on the episode. Um, I can tell you some of my overall thoughts. When I watched this, I was it affirmed to me. Um, okay, now now this is a great series. Like, yeah. a lot of series have a first good episode. I think of, like, the, the miniseries A Night Of, which you and I watched together. First episode, incredible. All downhill from there.
1: It, it, to an impressive degree. How incredibly solid the first episode of the show is. We had such high hopes for it. And then every single episode got a step worse.
0: But this actually got better in the second episode. And it it got better after the explosion. So I I knew this was going to be great. So I really loved the episode. It also blew me back a little bit because as we've talked, I think we're both fans of of nuclear energy. Mm Mm-hmm. But when they start talking about okay, if these tanks explode, the other three reactors explode, like that half the like, and then I start saying maybe you know what, maybe we shouldn't be walking over that grate on the sidewalk, right? Like I know that this (laughs) this maybe is not going to happen all that often, but man, that it it blew me back a little bit, made me question, you know, my my sort of fierce um, advocacy for nuclear energy.
1: One of the things that makes the show very effective is that each episode has a thing it wants to talk about. Not necessarily just in events, but a certain perspective on the events. The first episode is the disaster. That's the focus. It's a cosmic horror kind of experience. The first, the second episode is now explaining to us what the effect of that disaster means on a global scale. Next episode's going to be focused very much on the human element of the disaster. Next episode after that's going to focus very much on what the processing of the after effect of the disaster is. So I like that each episode as much as they're also just following events in time, I have a very centered, well-developed focus on what we want you to get out of and think about this episode. And they do that really well. And it makes each episode really unique and independent in their own way just because they're so differently focused on what the effect of this disaster is in different kinds of ways. But as you said, I was just so continually impressed by this show that it was able to keep the momentum of the first episode and mold it into new and unique and exciting ways. beautifully well done and i'm just amazed on my rewatch that i'm enjoying it if anything even more
0: so we go to best line of the episode spencer has already designated his best line of the episode
1: There's, there's other good ones though
0: um i think i covered them i don't know if we want to go back and forth a lot of these are really long yeah um i think i just want to cut to your favorite which was the last which was boris
1: which it's, I will repeat
0: one more time because it's please worth do. repeating please do. Uh, you'll do it because it must be done you'll do it because no one else can and if you don't, millions will die if you tell me that's not enough, I won't believe you this is what has always set our people apart a thousand years of sacrifice within our veins every generation must know its own suffering I spit on the people who did this and I curse the price I have to pay but I'm making my peace with it now you make yours go into that water because it must be done I can't argue with that being the best line of the episode so I'm not not necessarily saying you're wrong there I did choose a different one um, not going to shock you. Mm-hmm. You are dealing with something that has never occurred on this planet before.
1: And they emphasize that line heavily in the advertisements, and for good reason. Because it's a one hundred percent stowed cold truth, and B, it's one of those lines that just shakes you in your bones when you hear it.
0: It really does, and it did me too. And I, and I, 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 you know, just full disclosure, I did hear that through the promotional materials first, but that sucked me in. I was like, oh, that 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 is. That's heavy shit. i got to watch this show. So, yeah, best line of the episode, you're dealing with something that has never occurred on this planet before we now cut to our final segment of the episode, a segment I like to call Spencer's Wikipedia Spiral of the Week. Take it away, Spencer.
1: Okay. I've kind of developed a theme with the Wikipedia Spiral and focusing on just other nuclear accidents that happened just to give us a degree of perspective on what has been going on with nuclear power since its origination in 19, well, origination, quote unquote, 1945 through the present.
0: I'm really glad none of
1: those happened in America. Well uh what? I hate what? I hate to I hate to burst that particular bubble. Um but I'm gonna I'm gonna go I'm gonna <laughs> gonna I'm gonna really hard in this episode in ways I didn't fully understand or expect before I got on my Wikipedia spiral. I knew about a few of these incidents. I didn't know that they were just the tip of the iceberg of what happened with respect to the American military's flirtation with nuclear power from nineteen fifty through nineteen eighty. We talked about uh the Various accidents that happened at Los Alamos, the demon core and all those in the last episodes. Uh, Lee, are you familiar with what a broken arrow is? Have you ever heard that term before? No. Tell me about it. Uh, well, for one, it's a movie with John Travolta, but we're going to f- ignore that for right now. Um, <laughs> nice reference. Yeah, thank you. Uh, broken arrow refers, it's a military term that refers to a nuclear accident outside of wartime, be it a incident involving nuclear weapons being damaged, fires, or just them simply being lost. One would hope, given what we know about nuclear weapons, this is particularly nuclear weapons, this does not include accidents that happened at nuclear facilities. This doesn't even include a fire at a a silo that nearly cooked off a nuclear warhead, because I didn't think that was tied enough to the nuclear weapon itself. So it's a pretty limited term. And yet, in that 30-year period, we had 32 Broken Arrow instances involving the US military. I didn't have a real concept of that in terms of the number of instances of where we had accidents involving nuclear weapons. And when I'm saying accidents, accidents, that includes, and I love that we don't know the precise number on this, that's horrifying, six to nine lost nuclear weapons. Six to nine. There's yeah. apparently a three we're not sure about. Not only did we lose them, we don't know how many we lost. Yeah. That, that's just amazing to me. It's like, there may be a nuclear weapon off the coast of Georgia, but the military's never admitted for certain whether there was a nuclear warhead in it at the time they lost it. Example. Um, this, I, again, had no idea of the scope of just the number of times that we had various actions involving nuclear weapons, and also just the breadth of the effect that they occasionally had. We talked before about um, the Goldsboro accident of a city it's about 60 miles uh, southeast of where uh, Lee is right now in the Triangle area. Uh, Lee, you're actually familiar with Goldsboro, I think you said.
0: I am familiar with Goldsboro. It's actually pretty close to where I grew up. And I can tell you that if the um, the nuclear weapon that fell over Goldsboro actually had detonated, I would not be alive because there's they would have had to evacuate the area, and there's no way my mom and dad would have ever met each other. So, you know, that's interesting to me. Well, in <laughs> I, of- I would never have existed.
1: A lot of these nuclear accidents happened as part of something that was called Operation Chrome Dome, which, again, got to love the military for their terms for these operations, of where in the uh, 50s and the chrome 60s. Chrome Dome. That's what yeah. I call Viserys. Yes. And now it also applies to a large scale operation by which we keep a substantial portion of our airborne nuclear fleet always airborne and always operating on routes going to the Soviet Union in the event that they have to just go there to start World War III. Uh, we were keeping, I think it was between like a third and a and half of our um, airborne B-52s always up, always rotating, always going on various pre-planned routes that would allow them to immediately hit the Soviet Union from all sides if need be. This isn't the pre-ICBM era. Our B-52s were our main uh, nuclear arm by which we would incinerate the Soviet Union if the situation called for it. When I say it also airborne and armed, I mean they were all carrying nukes all the time flying across the world including the united states yeah such a great idea phenomenal it has problems every now and then the one that happened in goldsboro in 1961 it was a situation of where a plane took off uh from uh i think it took off from uh, the wonderfully named air air base in in north carolina called seymour johnson which uh, i know it
0: i actually know it and i made that joke many times in high
1: school i'm sure you did i i'm surprised i hadn't heard of it before it's hilarious uh, it took off and quickly found out that it appeared to be leaking fuel. It's refueling plane even noticed we're visibly watching you lose fuel. You need to go land. It went in, to, went in back to try to land and had lost so much fuel by that point the plane was no longer stable and started to come apart in the air. Part of the crew got out. Famously, one guy was able to actually eject without means of an ejection seat in B-52. The only time it's ever happened in history, he was able to climb out as the plane was spiraling. But I think three guys went down with the plane or either died on impact. But interesting thing happened when the plane was coming apart at about mm, 2,000 feet above the ground the bomb bay doors opened and two four megaton nuclear devices fell out as they do when a plane that's loaded with nukes is coming apart in the sky uh one of them that we already talked about buried itself in a swamp in Goldsboro we think The University of North Carolina Chapel has actually calculated they think it's about 180 feet down below the ground. They think this because they found the tail about halfway down before they decide to stop digging. They've never found it. It's somewhere in this field. It's somewhere in the swamp. The military has purchased an easement so they can constantly and forever monitor this situation. What's interesting about that one, and particularly the one that I haven't talked about, was the triggers that were in place to prevent these things from going nuclear. Each of these bombs just didn't simply normally explode on impact. Various triggers had to be set in place by which that would allow them for the nuclear reaction to occur. Each of these bombs at the time had four triggers. One of the things they found to their horror when they came across the bomb that landed intact was that A, its parachute had deployed, which concerned them, that's one of the three, that's one of the four triggers. When they went to check it, they found that of the four triggers, Three had successfully flipped in terms of it coming out of the plane and going down Oof. the only one that didn't flip best as we can tell and there's conflicting reports on this because as you might guess the military doesn't really want to admit that this happened was the air switch that was on the pilot's front dash that one little last safety arming electrical switch If it had in any way been flipped in the turbulence of the plane going down or the pilot jumping out of the plane, all four triggers on this device would have gone off, and this nuclear device would have hit in Goldsboro and immediately killed anyone within about 20-mile radius of where it went off, with a bomb about, I think it was something like 250 to 400 times Hiroshima, radiation-contaminating eastern North Carolina. And again, that's the one that landed roughly intact. I wouldn't be here, I know It's, it's a trippy thought um, Now, one would think that this would be Clearly the worst incident that's I'm ever making happened making it all about me, by the way I know, and that. I appreciate you <laughs> making, giving us a human element to this One would think that That would be the worst nuclear incident That befell the military, because how could it not be? But again That's only one of the six to nine Ones that were just straight missing How about the ones That actually blew up? Did you know that we had at least three nuclear weapons that actually exploded in these accidents? I'm gonna go with a no there. Yeah, one of them blew up over
0: Albuquerque.
1: Did you know that? That <laughs> ah, didn't surprise me. Yeah, New Mexico. What do you want? What do you want? Uh, we had three separate times that these nuclear weapons actually exploded. They did not go nuclear. These were the conventional explosives going off with respect to these bombs. But essentially, they are creating giant, dirty bombs, as we call them now, in terms of just spreading radiation. Highly radioactive material over a set area of ground. We purposely set nuclear weapons to blow up above ground for the purpose of A, causing more devastation, and B, not contaminating the soil in a way that we can never fix. There's a reason we do that. When they hit the ground and just spread all the radioactive material right there where they're sitting, that's a hard thing to ever get rid of. One of the first of these times these happened was 1957 in Albuquerque. Of where a plane what a B-50, I think it was a B-38 It was even a pre-B-52 Was going in for landing And suddenly they felt a jolt And the bombardier said over the radio Uh, bombs away As they just dropped a nuclear device Seemingly by error In, ter- in, in terms of an like electrical failure Or something Or not, not sufficiently safety measures in place Right in front of the airfield As they're about to land <laughs> And the guy said bombs away You literally said bombs away. What a fucking maniac that guy is. The the three things they said, the three three things that were recorded on the radio were, first thing was, oh shit. Second thing was, bombs away. And third thing was, it's not my fault. Those were the recordings that they got.
0: That's that's American right there. Oh, we we made a mistake. Let's make a joke. Oh, I didn't do it.
1: It's also really American that luckily speaking, the only casualty that was suffered from the incident was a cow where the bomb literally fell on the poor cow's head before it exploded. R.I.P. R.I.P. He took he took one for the team right there. Uh, this occurring in a military airbase, they were able to successfully cover this one up for 30 years. The town never heard about it. The cleanup operations by which they had to buy the farmer's field, permanently decontaminated and constantly monitored forever into the future, were kept secret from the American public for 30 years before it finally was released in the L.A. Times where I read this article. We cannot tell Kyrie Irving about this. <laughs> Um. Somehow, these Somewhere instances... Levi's
0: laughing after that
1: Yeah. Somehow, these instances did not stop Operation Chrome Dome. It kept going for another, after Goldsboro, eight years. Uh, it finally started to be a problem, though, when we started accidentally detonating nuclear devices on other foreign countries, because we couldn't hide that as much. We successfully, I say successfully kind of ironically, we accidentally uh, dropped nuclear devices over both Greenland and Spain. Greenland was rough enough. Spain, Spain. It was, a, was a neutral country at the time. Didn't work that well either. Denmark was at least part of NATO and uh, was willing to help us with the cleanup efforts. But between, good guy Greenland. Good God Good guy Denmark. Yeah, Denmark even uh, lied to its people about the fact that they were helping us with respect to our nuclear program in clear violation of the own uh, laws that they signed back in 1957. Thank you, Denmark, for violating the trust of your people for this help for the purpose of assisting us in nuclear war. Um,
0: A grateful America, thanks you.
1: Yeah, but. One of these incidents happened as a result, the one that happened over Spain happened as a result of our plane literally ramming its fueling taker, which don't do that, causes massive fireballs, and leads to four nuclear devices falling out of the plane, one landing in the ocean and three landing on Spain, two of which exploded and contaminated an area about a mile square in a way that we're still cleaning it up to this day 50 years later. Of where our original cleanup efforts Spain recently discovered involved us when we said transporting all the soil back to the United States, what we really meant was taking half of it and burying it right next to where we pulled it up in Spain, <laughs> uh, which obviously Spain was a little Lord. annoyed about. Uh, but we're still we're still paying to fix that. We're still we've even recently signed a new treaty for the purpose of still trying to repair that. In Greenland, that one is also still being monitored and still going on to a certain degree because that plane a to electrical fire hammered itself into the ground and scattered bombs in a way that. We're, this are possibly one of the missing nuclear weapons. We think we recovered three of the four. We're not sure they were in too many pieces. Um, but Greenland and our efforts led to, Greenland basically told us, okay, we're going to help you cover this up. We're going to help you fix this, but you're going to take every bit of, of, of uh, ice and ground and snow and everything else out of Greenland and take it to the United States because it's not staying here and that was a cleanup that is still also going on to this day reasonable these instances in the public shame have led to the eventual end of operation chrome dome and i would love to tell you that these nuclear instances are the worst nuclear accidents committed by the u.s military with respect to the nuclear weapons but i can't because we did one more the last one i'm going to talk about um one that we would be paying for if we honored our treaties To the tune of billions of dollars for the lives we affected, and are still affecting. Lee, have you ever heard of the Castle Bravo tests?
0: Uh, no, I haven't. But I do like the idea that we're not paying our bills.
1: Uh, yeah, we're doing it real, we're we're doing gangbusters that are not paying bills with respect to this one. Uh, Castle Bravo was um, our test in 1957, I believe. 1950, I'm look it up as I'm to talking. To this I can't remember if It's 1954 and 1957 right now. But basically, it was our test of our first deployable thermonuclear bomb, a hydrogen bomb. So our original tests a few years earlier had proven that we could do it, but the bomb there, 1954, the bomb there weighed like 80 tons, so we couldn't practically put it on a plane to go drop it on Soviet people. So we had to test a more compressed device. And so they developed a nuclear device that they were predicting had about a six megaton yield. Colossal. Again, to put this in perspective, the bomb we dropped in Hiroshima was 10 kilotons. That's the level of increase we're talking about with respect to these new uh, hydrogen bombs. This device was using an isotope of lithium. Uh, they anticipated that a, the particular isotope that they were using would be all that would explode and the different isotope of lithium that they put along with it would be non-reactive. They didn't really test this as such, particularly not under the conditions of a, you know, an explosion, but they were pretty confident it would be fine. And so they decided that, of course, this would be in the United States, let's pick one of the prettiest places in the world, let's fly to the Marshall Islands and Bikini Atoll, And let's drop a a thermonuclear weapon uh, for the purpose of testing whether it is practically deployable on B-52s to go kill people with. They set this thing off, and it still holds the record today as the single largest nuclear device we have ever detonated as the United States. 60 years later, we have never detonated a bigger one than this, because their 6 megaton prediction turned out to be 15 megatons. How do you miss it that much? That, that astonishes me. Uh, it astonished them too, because not only... It, it
0: astonished them how dumb they are? Like, What's astonishing to me is not that they missed it, it's that... Or, to that that's degree. what I'm trying to say is, how. yeah, I, I just don't understand how they miscalculated that much. That's confusing okay. to me.
1: Again, they were literally putting this stuff in as almost like filler. as just like, eh, that's, it fills the space, it'll kind of help with stabilizing the explosion. It'll be fine. Just... That was the bulk of the material with this lithium-7 isotope that they were just like, it won't explode, it'll be fine. And so instead, when it goes off, they get an explosion two and a half times bigger than they predicted. This thing craters the ocean. It spreads radiation over an area to the point of where they're detecting this, not only in the continental United States, they're detecting this in circles around the world in terms of the radiation exposure that they're getting off this. It's imminently lethal levels of radiation going a hundred miles past their exclusion zone and it starts rapidly affecting people in ways that they did not predict, that they did not plan for. One of the first people it affects is the people that set off the device, of where they immediately after they set off the device had to realize, oh shit, what the hell was that? That was a lot bigger than they expected. All go down into bunkers because, and this here's a point of comparison, because at the area even where they were testing, which was comfortably outside of the area that they had all assumed would be a problem with respect to fallout or anything else, was getting 25 roentgens per hour of radiation. So let's put that in chest X-rays that they explained. 3.6 was 400, as Legasov said, right? Yep. Factor factor a nine more than that. In terms of radiation affecting what was supposed to be the secure point where they were setting off the device where they were confident there would be no problems much less where the radiation then spread after that one thing that it famously and horrendously affected was a japanese fishing boat the daigo fukuyuru of where a crew of something like 35 were right in the path of this fallout because they were given no warning there would be a test much less that there would be any problem of where they were traveling true All of them almost immediately started suffering from radiation sickness. One died a few months later. The rest suffered from horrendous and still ongoing um, debilitating illness as a result of what occurred to them. Their compensation was the modern equivalent of $51,000 each. Uh, And it was also agreed in terms of the treaty that was reached with the Japanese to cover this up that they would not be recognized with hibakushu status, which is the survivors of nuclear bombs despite what had happened to them. What continued on after that, though, was the various other Marshall Islands, of where this plume decided to just go over and contaminate a substantial stretch of the Marshall Islands. And the military knew this. They knew it almost immediately. But they didn't evacuate these islands for 48 hours. By the time they went in, these people were already suffering from vomiting, critical illness, hair loss, chronic diarrhea all number of effects this was the level of radiation these people were already exposed to they evacuated them out of there they took them away um and even with just a few years later the rates of cancer among these people were astronomical uh i've heard it said before that of like on one of these islands of the 29 children that were alive at the point of this test 20 of them had thyroid cancer within a couple years of this happening oh god Uh, The uh, United States eventually, after decades of detonating more and more nuclear bombs over the Marshall Islands, because we owned them at the time, um, eventually set up the Nuclear Claims Tribunal, by which they would agree to provide some degree of compensation for the people of the Marshall Islands. When I say agree, I mean force the Marshall Islands to sign a treaty by which the individuals could not legally sue in the United States or the United States government. They could only process claims through this tribunal. This tribunal was given a trust fund of about $150 million, and I think it was the 80s or something. I think it was like, uh, I think it was like 81 or something like that, um, to process with respect to all of these claims. Uh, that amount of money very quickly started to run out when it was pretty quickly determined that even at the time there were over two and a half billion dollars in claims because over the course of our nuclear testing that occurred from 1946 to 1958 in the Marshall Islands we detonated, on top of Castle Bravo, 109 megatons worth of nuclear devices 67 separate nuclear bombs we dropped on these people, or dropped in this area, with little regard or little understanding of what the long-term radioactive effect would be. This uh, level of compensation being so quickly to run out led to increasingly reduced payments as the runners of this fund kept on advising Congress, we need more money for this, it's running out. The response of Congress and the United States government has been to effectively allow the fund to cease to exist. The tribunal completely ran out of funds by the early 2000s it ceased to be a functioning by 2011 it now is essentially a storage shed with a few part-time workers where it's just full of the various claims that are unpaid and will never be paid by the thousands of people that have been permanently and horrendously affected it as a result of this nuclear testing and the ongoing fallout that resulted from it this is the one of the legacies that we have as a result of these particular circumstances and i've got a few other uh, stats about rates of just exposure to these people. For one of these islands that was a uh, wrong lap, it was one of the islands that they evacuated as a result of the uh, testing between Atoll Castle, Bravo. They found that uh, four years after the instances, miscarriages and stillbirths were at the rate of twi- were more than twice what they what, what they would be normally. Uh, 69% of all the children developed thyroid tumors for year, years after the instance. Um... What's more things here? Here, just pause for a second, but I'm trying to find my notes here. I got I got it written out somewhere.
0: That's fine. Um yeah, well you you figure that out. <clears throat> and I will tell everybody that um, we are gonna try to get episode three out much faster than we got episode two. It was about a month, mm. a month delay, but we're gonna we're gonna try to get episode three out here in another week or two. Also, just another reminder, please if you're listening to this on the Got Got Questions Podcast feed, go subscribe to Mangum Talks TV. Gut podcast, Gut Questions podcast is going away. Spencer, do you have that stat?
1: Uh, no, I don't. I don't actually have it. I may have accidentally deleted it, so I'll just leave it there. Just again, it's just an example of this. Literally Bad thousands, stuff. literally thousands of people that we've affected as a result of nuclear, nuclear testing in a way we did not fully understand, and we're being very cavalier about. And as with most things, the United States has done that is fucked up. We are not paying for it, or actually making active efforts to fix it while while at the same time we're paying millions to help with decidedly fewer amounts of people that were affected as a result of nevada testing because they're white and u.s citizens and the marshall islands residents are not
0: yeah okay well that's pretty fucking depressing but interesting yeah. yet again uh, another wikipedia spiral of the week by spencer we will be back in about seven to ten days with episode three of hbo's chernobyl spencer i really enjoyed this any last thoughts
1: no, it, absolute pleasure to talk about, about these episodes with you. It just Again, it's always amazing to me what quality television HBO continues to churn out, even for something like this that was kind of under the radar before it suddenly appeared. Completely agree. All right,
0: everybody, subscribe to Mangum Talks TV, subscribe to Mangum Reads, subscribe to Whiskey on the weekends, listen to the pods. We really appreciate you. Thanks, everybody.
1: See you.